So friends, today we dig into part four of our series on the Apostles' Creed. We will be touching on this part. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now I wonder if any of you have ever come to this part of the creed and had some questions. Maybe, why is the church called holy? Didn't the apostles know back then that the church would make mistakes over the years? Or maybe you've wondered, and we've heard this from many of you, so I know it's been in your minds. Why does the church say Catholic? Can we still say this today as Protestant Christians? We'll get there. Or who are the communion of saints? Does this include only those super servants like St. Mother Teresa or St. John of the Cross? Are we included as saints? Have any of you ever wondered any of these questions? Yes, a few of you have. The rest of you have it figured out, so you, <laughs> you should teach me afterwards. Well, we are going to try to address these questions this morning, and not only these, but more We are going to tackle the big topic of the church. What exactly is the church? What is God's purpose for us? How can we, as members of the church, best live into God's calling on our lives? A lot of big questions. We can't answer them all, but we'll try our best to hit some highlights. So to guide us in these questions, we're going to draw on the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. You can either follow along in your Bible Or you can follow it on the screen. I'll put it up here too. Before we read, though, let us pray. Lord, we pray that your word would be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ, our one single concern. Amen. So hear now the word of the Lord from Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. So to start us off today, let's look at this primary question. What is the church? To answer this, I'm going to use three adjectives, called, Catholic, and holy. We're going to define those. So first and foremost, the church is called. It is a community of people who have been called by God. So you might notice in your bulletin notes there in the center, the sermon notes, we get this word church from the Greek word ecclesia. And the Hebrew word kahal, both of which have a meaning that's something like called out ones. So it's important for us to note right off the bat that the church is not a place. It is not a building. It is a community of people called by God. 
Friends, this building is not the church. I know some of us say, I'm going to church today. I have a meeting at church. But, and it's hard to find other language because we call this building the church. That's still okay. But it's important to understand this building is not the church. We are the church. You are the church. So the church is a community called by God. So what does this mean, called? Because certainly there weren't cell phones back in the time of the apostles, right? God wasn't picking up the smartphone and calling them or texting them as we do today. So to avoid that confusion, there's another way to talk of this, which is summoned. And this is how John Calvin liked to talk about this. He uses the imagery of the church as the people who have been summoned together like a convocation. Think of those convocations in school. You hear the you hear the buzzer go off and you all convene for this convocation. So John Calvin says this. Imagine citizens called by a loud trumpet and rushing from everywhere. They are present. They form the company of the faithful, of those who, called by God's faithfulness, have responded with their faithfulness. So think of Jesus' 12 disciples, the very earliest Christian church. So these 12 guys weren't just standing around one day and said, hey, let's, let's form a club. The truth is these, these 12 guys, they were so different from one another that they probably never would have hung out doing things together if it was up to their own initiative. Rather, Jesus calls them. Jesus calls them to follow him and to follow him together. They didn't first choose Jesus. Jesus chose them. Jesus chose them and then they responded in faithfulness to be part of this community, to be part of this lifestyle that Jesus called them to. But you see, the call to follow God, it began even before Jesus' ministry on earth. It began way, way, way back with the very earliest humans. And this is where we need a broadened understanding of God's community, the called out ones, from which we get our modern term, church. So I invite you to turn in your bulletin, again, to those sermon notes, um, or you can follow on the screen. I'm giving you two options so you can follow along. We're going to look at Heidelberg Catechism Q&A 54. I'll read the question and you read the answer. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. From the beginning of the world to its end. From the beginning of the world to its end, God has been gathering to himself a community. Now in two weeks we'll talk more about this part, eternal life, when we address the last part of the creed. But today we're going to stay focused on God's intentions for his community that he gathers here and now in the present age. So from the beginning of the world to its end, God calls together a community. He gathers us for a purpose. 
God calls us to enter into life with himself, with the triune God that we learned about last week, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that life, it includes participating in what God is doing, God's joyous redemption work on earth. That is part of our call. We are blessed to be a blessing. This is how God has interacted with God's called ones since the very beginning. And this, my friends, is how the church is distinct from other organizations. We're not a voluntary social group, we don't believe, like a running club or the Girl Scouts. We're not simply a group of like-minded people who choose to get together to do something that we've all decided to do. That's not how it was with the 12 disciples. That's not how it is with us. No, we believe that we have been called here by a divine summons. God has called us here, and we are merely responding to that call. Friends, do you believe that? That God has specifically called each and every one of you. God has spoken to you, has called you here, and has called you here for a purpose. A purpose that is greater than you could ever imagine. God has called you to be in relationship with him. In this life of the triune God, now and forevermore. And that also means participating in what God is doing in the world. God has called you for a purpose. But... This type of calling is not new to us or even to the New Testament. And this is how God has been interacting with his people since the beginning of the world to its end. From Adam and Eve to Abraham and Sarah, all the way to the present day. And if you remember, God's first large community of called out ones were the Israelites. Those are the people we read about in the Old Testament, which is about two-thirds of our Bible. So then after Jesus comes to earth, God calls his people to know and follow him in a new way through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And those who respond to that call started the Christian church. But this, my friends, why am I getting into all this? This is why I believe we don't just say in the creed, the holy Christian church. Because we believe that God was also at work among the community that was revealed before Jesus Christ came to earth. To the Israelites who responded faithfully to God, they too were called out ones. The Hebrew word kahal. They too are a part of the community of called out ones who have responded faithfully to God's call. I know this might be a little bit confusing, so let me be clear. I'm not referring to the modern-day nation-state of Israel. That's a different thing. I'm not referring to modern-day Jews who do not believe in Jesus Christ as God's Son. Rather, I'm referring to that community described in the Old Testament prior to Jesus' life on earth. As the book of Hebrews tell us, many Israelites like Abraham and Isaac and Moses, they heard and responded faithfully to God's call as God revealed at that time. And God works through this community for his redemptive purposes. These people, too, are included in the communion of saints, which we profess. As Hebrews tells us, they are part of the great cloud of witnesses which surrounds us. And this is where the term Catholic is really helpful to us. 
So I know this has been confusing to a lot of you. So Catholic in our creed has a lowercase c, and it means universal. So this part of the creed is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. That's a certain brand of Christianity. Rather, Catholic here means universal. It means spanning all time and all space. It includes all the people who have heard God's call and have responded in faith. So when we say this part of the creed, we're not saying, I only believe that the people of the church are people who belong to St. Mary's or any of these Roman Catholic churches. That's not what we're saying. We're saying we believe in the really, 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 really big church that spans all time and space, all the people that God has called and responded in faithfulness. That's why we keep the term Catholic or universal rather than just Christian because to say only Christian is to negate the way that God was at work for many, 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 many years before Jesus Christ came to earth. Does that make a little bit of sense? I know it's confusing. I don't want to say that the Israelites were Christians because they weren't because Jesus Christ wasn't revealed yet, but God was still at work in their community. And we are part of that community. We are part of this one big family that God has been working through. So I don't know about you, but proclaiming a belief in God's work among the Catholic or universal church, that is really comforting because it lets us know that God has a really long history with people on earth. More than just 2017 years more than just my lifetime, but since the beginning of time, as the Heidelberg told us. God has been present since the beginning of time, working through a community, starting with Adam and Eve, calling them to represent him. And then to the Israelites, and then to the Christian church, after the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are part of something much bigger than we ever imagined. We are part of a huge story, a massive, holy, universal community of people who have been called by God, called to enjoy relationship with God and to serve him in his work of redeeming the world. That's incredible, is it not? You are part of something so much bigger than yourself that goes back farther than your mind can comprehend. That's really good news, isn't it? So that's dealing with our term Catholic. If you have questions more about that, feel free to talk to us afterwards, because that one gets brought up a lot. The next one we want to focus on is holy. So have you ever wondered, does saying the holy Catholic Church mean that we believe that all of God's called out ones have been perfect? Well, if you've ever opened your Bible, ever read about the people that God has called, you will clearly know that the answer is no. So do you remember in the Old Testament, God's called out ones there, the kahal. Do you remember the golden calf incident or, you know, King David's pretty moral failures like adultery and murder, these kind of things, just, just small infractions. And yet, yet God still calls Israel his holy nation, you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. In the Ecclesia of the New Testament, they weren't perfect either. That's why we have so many letters to the churches addressing their problems and conflicts they have over and over. 
And yet these communities we read about in the New Testament, they too are called God's holy people. And friends, so are we. So what does this mean to be holy? What it all comes back to being called, which is why we had to start with that one. You see, holiness in the Bible is the fact of being set apart. So here I turn to Karl Barth, who has been called by many the greatest theologian of the 20th century, and he explains it like this. It's a long quote, but it's really good. So the holiness of the church will purely and simply consist in the fact that the church has both the the benefit of listening to the word of God and that of hoping. The church is the place that God wants to bless and where God wants to work to be praised and declared to the world. The term holy applied to the church, to God's work, and to believers has then no direct moral meaning. It does not mean that these people are particularly suited to come near to God, to deserve his revelation. Rather, holiness is conferred upon them as a matter of the fact that God has chosen them in order to reveal himself in them. Friends, we're not called holy or saints because of who we are or because of what we've done on our own. We are called holy saints because of God, because God has chosen to reveal himself through us. I'm going to turn again to another big hitter of these theologians, John Calvin. He explains that because of this reality, the church has two main aspects that we must remember. Humble and glorious at the same time. Calvin says she, the church, is humble because she is still earthly and subjected to human weakness. And she is glorious because she announces the glorious kingdom of God. She is a very dark mirror in which we perceive a very bright light. That's good news, isn't it? It means, friends, that we don't have to be perfect. We admit that we are very dark mirrors indeed. We are called simply to align ourselves correctly so that we can reflect the light of God. To point others to the source of the light, to the triune God that we represent. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be oriented correctly. And friends, this comes as good news because when we mess up, we have the hope that God will orient us back to the right path so that we might continue to reflect his light to live into this holy calling he has placed on our lives. That is part of what we do in worship. It is a reorienting. After six days of who knows what, God calls us back here, speaks to us, reorients our mirrors so that we might reflect his light appropriately. And this is where I find the Heidelberg Catechism's words about the Holy Spirit protecting and preserving the church to be really helpful. And I like the way that that Craig Barnes explains this. I found it a little bit humorous. He says this, Having spent an enormous amount of my life studying the history of the church, I can assure you that if there were any institution that deserved to go out of business, it's the church. 
For more than 2,000 years, we have revealed our tendency to drive the church into the ditch. Too many times we have been on the wrong side of issues of power, justice, truth, and compassion, but still we have been preserved. Clearly, this survival is not our own doing. Rather, the Holy Spirit constantly works to renew the church in its mission. Brothers and sisters, this is really good news. The Holy Spirit really cares about the church. The church is not ours. It belongs to God. The mission is not ours. It is God's. And we are told that God's purposes will never fail. So even when we, as members of the church, when we mess up by trying to be our own gods, we can trust that the Holy Spirit will preserve and protect a community, as he has been doing since the beginning, for his purposes of redeeming the world. We can trust that the Holy Spirit constantly works to renew his community and mission. That's good news, isn't it? It's very good news. So a connection point with today. What does this maybe mean for us today? Well, I do believe that one of the ways that God is renewing the church and mission today is through an increasing awareness that we are indeed one church. That's the title of the sermon, One Church. As our Ephesians passage tells us, there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. One, 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 one. We live in an age of massive individualism, rampant competition. But God works through the church to give witness to another way, the way of the triune God that we learned about last week, communion together, working together as one. So whenever there is competition amongst the members of the church, it's like the right arm trying to beat up the left arm. We're one body. It just doesn't make sense when one member tries to beat up the other member. It hurts the whole body. So this means that God is calling the whole church to be one body. Individuals in the congregation. Congregation with congregation. Denomination with denomination. All of us as one church. It also means, this declaration of the universal church, that we are to humbly listen to and learn from the ways that the Holy Spirit has spoken to other members, Christians from the third century and the Middle Ages, who were able to see things that we can't see with our cultural blind spots. Or voices from Africa and Asia and South America and minority groups who can see things that we can't see because of our blind spots. We need the entire body. So do you remember that sermon series we did on gifts and strengths that Brandon mentioned in the announcements? Do you all remember that? Anyone remember that series at all? Anyone? Yes, good. Okay. So do you remember that we put a big emphasis on the way that God gifts unique members with unique talents to be used together for the blessing of the world. We don't have the same calling, but we learn to work together. Well, friends, the same can be applied to congregations. We believe that God has gifted specific congregations with specific gifts for his redemptive purposes. Not all of us are alike. 
but each of us have an important role to play. Just think of it. Some churches are really great at ministering to those in the inner city. That's their sweet spot. They're really good. Others are really bad, really better. I said better, not, not bad. They're better with connecting with people who live in rural communities. Some churches are really big, like the femur bone of the body. They're just, they're just really big. Some churches are small, like the eyeball. But both are vitally important to the functioning of the body, are they not? So just as with individual Christians, individual churches must ask God together, what is the specific role you are calling us, this part of the body, to play at this moment in time, in this particular place? To answer that question, it's important to pay attention to the unique ways that God has gifted us as a congregation. That's why we spent so much time on the spiritual gifts and strengths finders. Because as we discern together where God might be leading us as a congregation in the future, it's important to consider what gifts God has given this particular congregation in this particular season for the particular needs of redemption that are in the world around us. As some of you know, um, Pastor Brandon and I are part of a clergy network that, that meets frequently. It's a huge gift to us. And these clergy are from various denominations in the greater Lafayette area. I can tell you it is beautiful hearing the stories of the ways that our individual congregations are being used by God, are meeting God and mission in different ways in our community. We're all different, and God uses us in very different ways that are unique. And it's really beautiful, because some things that we can't do, some other churches do. Some things that other churches can't do, we do really well. And whenever we're together, we just rejoice at the ways that the Spirit works in a broader concept. So we try our best not to compete with one another, not to have the right arm beat up the left arm, because that's just silly We try not to do sheep stealing, which, you know, you try to steal members from the other church. That's just silly. It's like trying to make, I don't know, one part of your body really big and the other part really small. It's just just really silly to do the sheep stealing. But we try to work together to see how the Spirit is at work for the betterment of the whole greater Lafayette area. And it's beautiful when you have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And it's been beautiful for us to hear about and read about this congregation's history of partnering with others in youth group, in Mission Lafayette, in Habitat for Humanity, which there's a meeting right after the service if you're going to come to that, in different service projects and, and joint worship services, all these ways, these reveal our oneness as a church in this little corner of the earth called Greater Lafayette. We are one church together. But we're not just Lafayette. We are the whole world. Christians everywhere today are gathering to worship God. And we don't just partner locally. We also partner with other churches in our denomination. And and I want to address this because we've heard from several of you that this word denomination is like a stumbling block. When you found out that we were we belong to a, a denomination, some of you were like, "Whoa, <laughs> I don't think so," um, because in our culture, denomination has gotten a bad rap. 
When we talk about the oneness of the church, people can sometimes say, oh no, denominations, they are splitting up the unity of the church. I'm going to give a few minutes to show why that's, that's not necessarily true. Why denominations can be helpful if done well for promoting the unity of the church. And we're going to close with this. So I do want to acknowledge that historically there has been some really bad feuding between Christian traditions. I don't have to tell you that. Just think of Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland as a mess. But however, just because some different Christian families have not handled conflict well, it doesn't make the families in themselves bad. So think of a denomination like a, an extended family. So say the Jones family and the Miller family, there's two different families, and they get in a big fight over something that um, the families do different. So when that happens, we don't tell the Joneses and the Millers, like, cut off your last name, uh, like, don't associate with your families, never be in a family again. Families are bad because families only fight. Um, you should just be a lone ranger and do it all by yourself. That's, that's not what we do. We tell the Millers and the Joneses, you guys need to figure out how to work out your differences. Like, we tell them, have better conflict resolution. Um, the truth is, if we all just, like, split off and we were all simply lone rangers, there'd be even more fracturing, even more conflict, even less partnership. That's why we don't just split off from our, our families of, of origin. So think of a denomination like a large extended family. We share a common history and vision and mission. We support one another, encourage one another, provide accountability, and share resources. Just as it's not healthy for Christians to live out their life of faith on their own, but to be part of a church family, neither can it, it can also be, it can also be really healthy for a congregation to live out its life of faith in a larger family called a denomination. It's okay to have smaller families within the larger family. It's, it was the same true with Israel. They had 12 tribes, all worshiping one God, but living out their calling in specific ways, in specific places. These smaller groups, they can give us more tangible, workable ways to do life and mission together. So if you're more familiar with politics, think of the 50 states within the one United States. We're all united as one country, but each with its own government, its own traditions, its own flavor. It's okay to be a citizen of one state, to say, I'm an Indiana Hoosier. That's okay, as long as you acknowledge that Indiana is not the only state there is, right? We are all part of this larger country, united as one. So it is with the church. One body, one Lord. And here is where I'm going to make a plug for the Inquirer's class that Brandon will be leading. I encourage you to come because the truth is all of us come from somewhere. We're all from some state, all from some family. And so we all have some kind of denominational uh, a bias or, or leaning when we read scripture. Some of us don't know what that is because we've never heard the names before, but all of us have them. It's important to know church history, to know where our thinking comes from. So Brandon's going to touch on some church history today and how that shapes our reading of scripture. And I'm going to close with Mary Strasma. So I invite Mary to come forward. Mary had the privilege of participating in this year's RCA General Synod back in June. 
That's the annual gathering of our denomination where pastors and elders and other RCA servants gather to worship and hear stories of God's work and to work together for Christ's mission in the world. And it really is beautiful the ways that we can work across North America for the mission. And so I wanted Mary to share some of her experiences. We've been wanting her to share for a long time. And I feel badly that I'm only giving her a few minutes. So ask her another time about, because she, she had a great five days and she has a lot to share. So I'm going to get you a mic. I'm going to talk a little bit about making a difference. Um, that's a big saying now, to make a difference. And sometime I'd like to really tell you about some of the emotional parts of being at Synod. Um, and then I'd like to tell you the practical parts of being there. But does it make a difference that Heartland sitting out here on the plains is part of a bigger church and the RCA? Because sometimes the RCA does things we don't care about. And sometimes they do wonderful things. When I was doing curriculum for the classes, I went around to different churches and told them about uh, a special curriculum that the church had written. And I realized every church was so different, even from just a couple of blocks. And down here at Heartland, we're kind of on the outreaches sometimes, and we feel like a missionary church almost. We don't know what they're doing up there in Grand Rapids. And sometimes we question it. And then we went and got us a couple people from that area so we'd know. Well, I did have the opportunity to go there and and, uh, meet some wonderful, wonderful people and take some time. I got to meet some of our missionaries. JP was up there running around being JP. You know, he's the audio uh, sound guy. And when he's out, he's really raking people in. It was a very powerful experience, and and I heard some great preaching, even from our own Pastor Stephanie. It was a collection of diversity, a collection of personalities from the far sides of everything, and a collection of stored beliefs and changing beliefs. We had representatives from all over the world. There were people there, and it was very powerful to see the work that they were doing. I kept imagining we'd go in and eat so much food at the cafeteria. And I kept thinking about the missionaries who were there and work with people in poverty. It really kind of made me feel badly. Not bad enough to quit eating. Uh, We had, um, because I was there, I did get some requests for help. And I keep getting mailings now. And I keep shoving them at Brandon and Stephanie. (laughs) And some of it I've put out there on the table that I'd like you to look at and see what it is we're about. Um, We do make a difference because we belong to this church, but we make a difference because we belong to the larger church or denomination. Collectively, we can send more missionaries. Collectively, we can support churches in need. Collectively, we can plant other churches. And so we had all these diverse ideas, and sometimes it was pretty intense. And we didn't always agree, and we had to work really hard to solve some of the problems that we had. And did you know that the Reformed Church was one of the first to ever send missionaries to India? And then JP works on our behalf now, and others as well. But because of the denomination, and knowing about the denomination, 
That's how that ornery Paul Moses came to be with us for a while. As a Purdue student, he was pretty ornery, especially when the old uncles at our house were trying to tell him about how not to get married. It became a pretty funny group. I hear that he's ready to get married. Uh, so in that, he, he now serves a church up in Mich- Minneapolis. And... Um, It's called the Church of All Nations. It was a very diverse church, and he works hard there. But Shanthini, his mom, happened to be in the States, too. And she has a mission in Chennai, in India. And we'll be hearing from her some morning. I'll, I'll invite you to come and hear about her. It's just very interesting to know her and know that we touched her life because we took care of Paul, and she's gone back to touch the lives of others. And that's what denominations do for you. They sometimes bind us or restrict us, but they bind us together in the name of Jesus Christ. We come together under Jesus. I wish all of you could go to Synod. It was exciting. I was thrilled. I got to sleep in a dorm room again. (laughs) That wasn't so great, but it was good. But we do make a difference here, right here in Heartland. We make a big difference. But we make a difference by belonging to the RCA. I thought that was a music company for a long time. (laughs) We hope to continue moments of mission and share some other things that we're doing within our our mission group. Uh, And how we work together to show you and to do, to know Jesus. I'd like to tell you more about Hope sometime. It was an honor to represent our classes and I saw some of the people from there and some people who'd been been in Lafayette before. I am glad to be reformed, despite what Henry says, that I can't be. (laughs) Henry tries to tell me that once a Methodist, always a Methodist. No, I'm not. I'm reformed, and I'm proud of it. And I want to work in a church that is not only transformed, but transforming. And I have some paperwork out there about that. And I would just ask that God would bless us. He would bless the Reformed Church in America. And he would bless all the people of Heartland in his name. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Um, Mary highlighted this, you heard this, transformed and transforming. That is um, kind of the mission of the RCA over the next 15 years. So we're going to try hard to um, keep you more up to date on the resources we get from the RCA. You don't maybe realize we draw a lot from our denomination. We are a much richer congregation because of the resources that they provide, because it is a whole large extended family working together for the glory of Christ in our particular area of the world. And it is a huge gift to be a part of that. Well, my friends, it is time to close. We wanted to address some major questions, the Catholic Church, the Holy Church. What are denominations? Are they okay? I hope that I was able to share that they can be okay, a a way of working together within the larger body of Christ. But most of all, I hope that you remember that we are called. That God has selected you. 
has drawn you here and you have responded in faithfulness to be here, to enjoy this magnificent relationship with God that is beyond anything that you could ever even imagine to hope for. And God invites you to participate in inviting the rest of the world into that relationship. With that in mind, let us pray. God, we thank you for your word and your spirit that activates that word in our lives. We thank you for drawing us to yourself. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the fullest revelation of who you are, and for the ways that you continue to unfold your redemptive purposes in the world. Make us joyful servants to be eager to participate in your life of redemption in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.